Good morning, everyone. A man was being tailgated by a stressed-out woman on a busy stretch of road when suddenly the light turned yellow just in front of him. Well, he did the right thing, and he stopped, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. And the tailgating woman lost it. Man, she hit her dash. She laid on the horn. She was screaming in frustration as she had missed her chance to get through the intersection. Well, as she was in mid-rant, she heard a tap on the window and she looked up into the face of a very serious-looking police officer. And the officer ordered her to exit the car with her hands up. He then took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. Well, after several hours, a policeman approached the cell and he opened the door and and she was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting. And as he handed her back her personal items, he said, I'm very, very sorry for this mistake, ma'am. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were just blowing your horn, you were going crazy, you were, you were just cussing like nothing else. Well, I then noticed the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk and the Choose Life license plate and the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker, and I just naturally assumed you had stolen the car. Her actions caused him to doubt. I wonder how many of us could honestly say, I've been there before. Maybe our actions caused someone else to doubt that we were who we were projecting ourselves to be. You know, I'll never forget, some years back, I had probably been attending the jar maybe for maybe for a couple years at that point i was new to faith but i was really visible in the church because i was uh, volunteering for a lot of things i was playing in the in the church band every sunday well anyways i decided to have a colts playoff party and there was more riding on this game than just a trip to the super bowl i'm telling you this game was an epic battle between good and evil. See, we had God's team, the Indianapolis Colts, led by an angel, Peyton Manning, versus a group of guys that were destined for hell, the New England Patriots. So I invited a bunch of my new church friends over. I had the house all decorated up with cult stuff. We had flags flying, bobbleheads bouncing. I had a big fat head of Peyton Manning on the wall. I'm telling you, this party was going to be the bomb. We had awesome food, wings, dip. I had tea and lemonade because I don't play when it comes to football. The game starts, and this night is like awesome. The fellowship is fun. The game's a little close, so I'm getting a little antsy. You see, I have a tendency to get a little too excited at times, but I'm trying to 
pulled it all together and just have fun. Well, the Patriots, they take the lead with like a minute remaining. I'm starting to sweat and I'm biting my nails. I'm starting to pace around a little bit. But it's okay. We have a final chance here for a game-winning drive. So we get the ball. Our offense is moving down the field. I'm like, yes, God, we got this. Then with just seconds remaining, Peyton Manning threw an interception, sealing the victory for the evil Patriots. And I lost it. I come leaping up over the back of the couch. There was a football laying in the middle of the floor. I drop-kicked it. I sent it flying down the hallway, crashing against the back wall. Pictures are flying off. The dog's urinating as it's running for shelter. There was dead silence. You should have seen the look on people's faces. You see, my actions had caused them to doubt who they thought I was. It's easy to do. You get upset at times. You say something that you shouldn't. You get mad. You do something that you shouldn't. Or maybe someone else's actions caused you to doubt that that person was who they were proclaiming themselves to be. Maybe it's that Christian that's just a little too loose with their language. A little too free with their speech or their opinions. The walk doesn't quite match the talk and you begin to doubt. Maybe they aren't who you thought they were. Now let me ask you this. What if that doubt is directed towards God? Have you ever questioned your faith? Man, I have. There's times in my life where I am witnessing God just doing incredible things. Man, I'm feeling it. I'm hearing it. And I'm seeing it. And and I believe with every fiber of my being. And then there's other times I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And if you've ever felt this way before, I'm telling you, you are in pretty good company. Because there are many biblical heroes of the faith that have questioned, that have battled uncertainty. And I'm going to share with you one of those stories this morning. And as we go through this story, I'm going to pull out some circumstances that contributed to this doubt, and I'm going to share what was done and what we need to do as well to stand up against a giant named doubt. So the story I want to share with you today, it's found in Matthew chapter 11. It's a story about a man by the name of John the Baptist. Now, the Gospels tell us that John was a locust-eating, camel-hair-wearing outdoorsman who was preaching and telling everyone that they needed to repent, and he was baptizing people in the Jordan River for the forgiveness of sins, and he was proclaiming loudly to everyone to get ready. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now John, John had this huge 
following. And many thought that he was the Christ that Scripture speaks of. And John makes it clear. He says, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. And he lets them know that he's who the Old Testament prophet Isaiah prophesied about 400 years earlier when he said a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. So he's telling everyone, hey, there's one coming greater than I. I am nothing compared to Him. I am just getting you ready for who is to come. And when Jesus arrived, John's pointing, he's saying, hey, that's the guy. That's the one that I've been telling you about. That's who I'm preparing you for. That's the Messiah. That is who we are to follow. And then he shifts all his people to Jesus. In fact, there were two followers of John, one unnamed, the other being Andrew, who told his brother Peter about Jesus, and those three became part of Jesus' closest followers. They were three of the twelve disciples of Jesus. And then, as you know, Jesus goes on and He does His ministry. And not a lot is heard from John again until almost a year later when He infuriates the king and He gets Himself locked up. So now, we are going to pick back up where John the Baptist comes back in. And it's Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So what? I mean, how did he go in just under a year from that kind of belief to this kind of doubt? Man, if anybody, if anybody in history would have been absolutely sure who Jesus is, it would have been John the Baptist. Man, you don't get more proof than John the Baptist that Jesus is who he says he is. This is the guy that baptized Jesus. The Bible says he saw the heavens open up and he heard the voice of God say, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. He pointed at Jesus and he declared in John 1 verse 34, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Make no mistake, John knew who Jesus was. So how could somebody so certain about Jesus now harbor so much doubt? What happened? What changed here? How do you get into that spot where you've seen God doing great things and now you're completely doubting that He is who He says He is? One thing shifted. One thing shifted from the baptism moment to where he is now, and that's the fact that he's in prison. And it's causing John to face this giant named Doubt. And here's what I want you to understand. 
Because what contributed to John's doubt is what contributes to ours as well. And it's this. Our circumstances can cause us to doubt our destiny. Our circumstances can cause us to doubt our destiny. You see, John was letting his circumstances change his perspective. Everyone else, they were out and they were doing things. Heck, the whole chapter before this, chapter 10, it was all about Jesus and he's sending out his disciples and he's given them the power to, to heal people and to force out evil spirits. So they're doing all these great things. And John, well, he's in prison. It's probably not how he imagined things were going to be. And this circumstance is now causing John to doubt that not only is Jesus who John thought he was, but that he himself may not be who he thought he was. Think about it. John's whole life was dedicated to one task. He believed that he was the fulfillment of Scripture, of prophecy. He was the voice of one calling in the desert. Make a path, make a way for the Lord. So he believed that his purpose was to come before and was to prepare a way and was to introduce the Messiah. And if Jesus was not the Christ, then John was wrong about his destiny or he had failed. It's one or the other. His circumstances were causing him to doubt his destiny. These things happen to us as well. Man, one moment we can have such great faith and we believe that great things are happening or they're going to happen and then we hit a rough patch. We hit a Muncie pothole. And our perspective changes and we go from, I got this, I ain't never going to get this. You know, I've been teaching here at the JAR for quite a number of years now. But early on, something very strange happened to me. And if you've been attending the JAR for a long time, like three worship leaders ago, you may remember this story. I was in the middle of a teaching one time when a gentleman began to heckle me. Oh, I swear this is true. I can't even make this kind of stuff up. He was heckling me. I would be in the middle of a, te- of a point and he would yell, Where's Jesus in this story? Where's Jesus in this sermon? And I had just started doing teaching, so I was nervous anyway, and I was uncertain about myself. And then this happened. He's yelling, and I'm looking around, and I can see that people are nervous, and they don't know what to do. And I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. I'm new and inexperienced, and I'm not even very confident yet anyway. It's not every day you get heckled in church. And I mean, I couldn't concentrate. It threw me off so bad. I just wanted to hurry up and be done. I probably ended the teaching somewhere in mid-scripture. 
Know you're always loved. Bye-bye. And I remember leaving and just being rattled. I mean, I was just rattled by it all. And I got a call from Pastor Chris about an hour later after someone had uh, told him what had happened. And he said he was sorry that it happened and wondered how I was doing. And I said, I'm done. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And his dad, John Bunch, who most of you know, had just started attending the jar. And he was officially retired as a pastor. And he insists we're in the middle of switching churches and they was going to move to Muncie. And I told Chris, I said, have JB teach from now on when you're gone. I said, I'm not doing it. I said, I'm done. I said, I can't do this. You see, this circumstance had caused me to doubt that I could do what God was calling me to do. That I could be what God was calling me to be. So I whined and I pouted for about a week. Then the next Sunday at church, the heckler was back. He was heckling Chris. It was great. I joined in. I'm like, yeah! <laughs> I'm kidding, but I did, I did have to escort the gentleman out. And the truth was, unfortunately, the guy... The guy had some mental issues. But i got to tell you, at the time, man, it put a giant in front of me. And I struggled with it. Now, maybe you're not being heckled, but maybe it's something, maybe it's your career and everything's going good, and then something happens and it makes you start thinking, man, I really thought that I'd be further along than this. You look at others and you see what they're doing and what they have and you start to question where you are and what you have and what you're doing. Or your kids do something that make you kind of question the way you've parented. Surely I'm not the only one that this has ever happened to. You start to doubt whether maybe you were the parent that you thought you were. You know, it's easy when things are going smooth and when you're achieving things that you've dreamed of and when you're doing things that you feel like God has called you to do, but when life all of a sudden pitches you a curveball and you're staring down a giant named doubt, you start thinking, maybe I'm not who I thought I was. Maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be. This could be school, work relationships, church. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Was I wrong? Have I failed? Or did I truly ever really believe at all? Your perspective can cause you to doubt your destiny. And when you are doubting, you need answers. So John, he's in prison. And he's doubting. So he sends some people and they ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? So John's needing some assurance. His faith needs to be confirmed. 
And in verse 4, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Here's another thing that contributed to John's doubt and contributes to ours as well, and it's this. God doesn't always live up to our expectations, but He always lives up to His. God doesn't always live up to our expectations, but He always lives up to His. You see, John the Baptist believed, like so many other Jews, that when the, when the Messiah came, he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire that was causing so much oppression. He was going to set the Jewish people up in their rightful place again, like King David. This was going to be an awesome day. Jesus was just going to ride in. He was going to crush it. He was going to come, and he was going to clean house. But he didn't. He came in and he was healing the sick. And he came in with this message of love. You see, the kingdom that Jesus was building was different than what John had expected. Jesus wasn't living up to John's expectations. Isn't it weird when... Jesus' actions cause you to doubt His authenticity? And you think that maybe God's going to come through with something, but He doesn't. At least not the way that you thought anyways. That person that is just sure that God's leading them to make certain decisions and praying for God to guide them only to have doors shut and then to find out that those decisions, they led you to places you don't even really want to be. I think about marriage. You know, when I was a kid, I once asked my dad what it was like being married. He told me, be quiet, leave him alone. And when I did, he asked me why I was ignoring him. Well played, Father. Well played. But you know, seriously, that person that's, um, they just dreamed of being married. They dreamed of having kids and this family and this white picket fence. And then they did things right. They loved deeply. They sacrificed greatly. They prayed for their family. But things still fell apart. Or that person that's praying and they're begging and they're believing that God's going to change that situation or that diagnosis. But it doesn't happen. And I imagine that this is what John is feeling. He's saying, man, I did my part. I did my part. Now I'm in prison. I did what I was called to do. 
but you're not doing what I thought you would do. So he's dealing with unmet expectations and now he is standing before this giant named Doubt. And John sends his guys because he needs words of assurance. And they watch Jesus do these things. And then Jesus basically says, now go tell John what you've seen and not to fall away on account of me. Man, you would have thought that Jesus would have given him more than this. John the Baptist, who had done and sacrificed so much for the kingdom, is saying, help me. Are you the Christ? I need to know. John's in a desperate situation. This was critical to him, but that's what he got. And then in verse 7, it says, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. This same account in Luke says, After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. So Jesus waits until John's people leave, and then he talks about John. Verse 10, Jesus tells everyone, talking about John, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So he's confirming to everyone that John is, in fact, the fulfillment of Scripture. Verse 11, Jesus continues and says, I tell you the truth, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, wouldn't it have helped John if the disciples or if Jesus would have said these things before his disciples left? I'm thinking John could have used this. Man, these are things that would have ministered to John. These are things that would have encouraged John. I mean, John is struggling with whether or not he is who he always thought he was, and Jesus tells everyone but him that he is who the Scriptures are referring to. And then to say, among them born of women, John was the greatest to ever walk the earth. Holy cow. means he's greater than Moses? Abraham? Noah? Anybody you want to mention? Man, what a, I mean, what a powerful compliment. It seems like this could have been said while the disciples were there. Man, this stuff would have built John up. And as I read it, it seems like the answer Jesus gave to John wasn't as good as the answer he gave to the people about John. Or was it? I mean, what exactly did Jesus really tell John? We're going to leave Jesus' response up on the screen. And I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 35. 
I am going to read to you a prophetic passage of Scripture about the Messiah and what would happen and how you would know that the Christ has arrived. This is chapter 35, verse 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. A little further in Isaiah 61, it says, The Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. You see, Jesus not only quoted Scripture, He fulfilled the Scripture. Jesus not only quoted Scripture, He fulfilled it. John's messengers watched they watched Jesus perform every miracle. The deaf heard, the lame walked, the blind saw. He threw in raising somebody from the dead so there would be no mistake in it. Nobody thinking it was a coincidence. He fulfilled Isaiah chapter 35, what the Scriptures foretold that the Messiah would do. And he said, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. Jesus is saying, tell John not to fall away on account of me. I'm doing what it says I will do. What it says will happen is happening. God doesn't always live up to your expectations, but He always lives up to His. And instead of just talking great about John and letting him hear these praises, he pointed him to Scripture. Instead of temporarily building him up and just giving him a temporary fix, something that would make him you know, feel good for a short time, John directed him to the Word of God for affirmation. And if you get nothing else out of today's teaching, you need to get this. And this is the big idea for today. Nothing can build you up like the Word of God. Nothing can build you up like the Word of God. You know, the Bible never shows us what John's response was, but I believe that this was everything that John needed to hear. You see, John knew Scripture. He was well-versed. He would have clearly understood this. And we know that John never got out of prison. In fact, he was executed probably a short time after this. But man, I bet this allowed John to just go out with a bang. I bet he went out with a shout standing on the Word of God. Knowing without a doubt He had ushered in the kingdom of Christ. He had done exactly what He had been called to do. He had fulfilled His purpose. Man, what a way to minister by Jesus. What a great way to minister by Jesus. Nothing can allow you to overcome your doubt like the Word of God. 
Nothing can encourage you like the Word of God. Nothing will allow you to conquer your fear. Nothing will propel you to chase your destiny. Nothing can build you up like the Word of God. You know, I received a... um, I received a call last year from a lady I know and she said that her sister was close to death. She had been released from the hospital to die at home and she hadn't eaten anything in days and her breathing was weak. But it seemed like that she was almost afraid to let go. Like she was very fearful of death. And I asked her if her sister was a Christian and she said she wasn't sure. And when I hear that, it means no. She wanted to know if I would come and and uh, pray over her sister and just pray with her as well for some peace. But she warned me that some of the family weren't very open to religion but that it would mean the world to her if I would do it. So I got in my car and I started driving that way. It was in Randolph County. And as I was driving, man, I just started getting these weird vibes. And I started hearing these voices in my head. And I'm thinking, God, I don't know if I'm the right person for this. Man, this is going to be a strange situation. You need somebody bold, God. You need somebody confident for this. I don't even know exactly what I'm going to do. I don't know exactly what's going to be best. And man, I just really, really doubted myself in that moment. I even called Tom Williams here from the church while I was driving. He's a retired pastor. I just talked to him a little bit. And then as I drove, I just prayed for God to just use me however He needs and to allow me and equip me to do it. Well, I get there and I grab my Bible. I'm greeted at the door. I walk in. We exchange pleasantries and I walk over to the bed that's in the living room all set up for this lady and I can can see that she is frail and she's close passing and there's just like a dark feeling there's just a dark feeling about everything well I asked any of the family that would like to gather around the bed as I pray to do so and about six seven of them joined me and I start to pray And as I'm praying, man, there's people in the background that chose not to join in. They start having a problem with what I'm doing. Man, they start yelling. They're cussing. I hear one lady in particular upset that I have a Bible and I'm shoving this religion crap on her mom. And I'm trying to concentrate. And I'm silent for a minute. I'm trying to get my composure. And I'm thinking, God, I, I need you to step in here. I need you to step in.
step in on this situation. And I just held my Bible. I just held my Bible tight. You see, something that they didn't know, I didn't bring this Bible in for them. I brought it in for me. You see, I've found in my life there's a fine line between being a hero and a catbird, between doing and not doing. And something about this book in my hand brings me power and it brings me comfort. So there's chaos around me and I'm looking at this dying lady and I feel God tell me, you are not here for them. You are here for her. This is what I've called you to do. I remember that the Word of God tells me 365 times to not be afraid. And I looked the lady in the eye. She's looking at me and I said, I don't know where you are with Jesus. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive him. And I know you can't talk, but you could repeat it in your heart. And in the midst of chaos and anger and hostility, I prayed the prayer of salvation with her. And I don't know if she gave her life to Christ. She passed soon after. I guess I'll find out someday. I just know when I doubt who I am or what I am or what I'm doing, the Word of God, it builds me up. It gives me the strength and the courage to do what I'm being called to do. I'm telling you, nothing can build you up like the Word of God. And I don't know what your giant name doubt is. I don't know what you're facing. I know that in this book it says God moves mountains. And I know in this book it says God parts seas. And I know Philippians 4 verse 13 says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, some of you want a word from God when all you need to do is believe the word that God's already given you. God's already spoken. He's already revealed. You just need to read it. And you need to believe it. Your circumstances do not determine your destiny. Your God does. He always lives up to his word. I want to close by asking everyone to stand, rise up if you're comfortable doing so. We are going to worship our God together. We are going to praise him for his promises, and we're going to praise him for his goodness. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall 
But you never fail me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battles won. For you never fail me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. Still in your hands, this is my confidence. Never fail me yet. I don't deny one thing. Nor will we come to.
This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Let's pray. Dear God, we uh, God, we thank you for just allowing us to gather here and just to lift you up in praise and to lift you up in worship. And we thank you for your word and we thank you for teaching us how to overcome doubt in our lives and just be able to slay giants with scripture. And God, if you're putting it upon anyone's heart right now to make that decision to follow you, to surrender their lives to Christ, I just invite them right now to to share this prayer with me and they can speak it out loud, they can speak it in their hearts, it doesn't matter. We can all speak it together like Pastor Chris likes to do. But if you're ready to be made new and to have your name written in the book of life, repeat after me, Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and I ask for forgiveness for the things that I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and was raised to bring me new life. I confess Him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to Him from this day forward. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. We all say together, Amen. Well, let's give a hand to anyone that said that for the first time. And if you did, we would love to give you a free gift. So there is a prayer team that's going to be coming forward, both sides of the stage, up top. Let them know that you made that decision. And if anyone else is needing prayer, please come up for that. Hey, know you're always loved in this place. We'll see you next week. God bless you guys.